Dance is a vertical expression of a horizontal desire. So reads the quote atop Jane Beckett's extensive CV. A dancer who trained in the classical form, experiences in Europe showed her the many expressions possible through contemporary dance. A career in musical theatre and regular employment dancing on television and supporting big names in cabaret evolved into a career as a choreographer and teacher. Jane talks to us about life as a dancer and what influences have shaped her to allow her to create the engaging works that she continues to craft. I was born in London in St Pancras Hospital and my parents lived in uh, Chelsea to start off with and then we moved to Battersea and then, um, then my parents immigrated out to Australia when I was about nine because my mother uh, was getting very ill and the doctors thought that she needed to have son because, you know, English weather is a bit, how's your father, so... What, what, what were the first things that hit you? Um, the heat. And I, I remember getting, um, when I was at the state school in Glen Iris, because my parents moved to Glen Iris in Melbourne, um, because my mother's brother at that time was living in Melbourne, um, they made us run around the Oval in the dead of summer about five or six times, and I... I just, it was terrible. And then I remember going to the beach and um, my sister covering me up with sand and then I got sand fly bites that were just, it was terrible. And I remember having them for nearly a month. The units that we used to live in in Glen Iris, um, my sister and I would always forget the key when we, because we'd walk home by ourselves, because mum and dad were always at work, so I was forever having to climb in the bedroom window to get into the unit. And I remember there was this fabulous tree uh, that we had uh, that was sort of up the driveway a little bit next door to these other flats, and and all of the kids in that block of units would all go and we'd play on this big tree, which I think is where my love of trees came from. So, you know, just swinging on the branches and it was a fabulous tree, our tree house. Were you a fan of Enid Blyton? Did you know the Magic Faraway tree? Yes, first book I read. I started reading when I was about four and a half. So your imagination would kick in, I guess, in your, your exploration of trees. and. Yes, loved, loved, loved those books. I used to read them under the covers at night with my torchlight, even though I was supposed to be asleep. Um, yeah. Were you the older sister or the younger sister? Older. Um, and being the oldest child, does that come with certain responsibilities? Um, no, not really. I, I, I Sometimes I feel like my younger sister looks after me more than I look after her. <laughs> Is it much of a difference in age? <laughs> Two years. Two, oh, well, not much at all, really. No, no. no. So when, when did um, dance emerge on the horizon? Was that something you did in the UK or was mm. it? It was, yep. So how old were you when you started dance? Uh, according to my mother, when I was nine months, I stood up in the cot and started dancing. So then <clears throat> she took me along to uh, some hall in, I don't know where, in London, and I learnt from some lady who I don't remember. Uh, I just remember she had a stick, and she used to hit the floor with a stick and then whack it into my back and then make me do a backbend 
until I could go over and touch the floor with my hands and she'd push me back up again. So, which, in, which really, when, you know, when you're doing ballet, it's good to have a flexible back. So, uh, but then um, my mother saw an ad for the Royal Ballet School were opening up a junior department. And so she, she entered me for the audition and I, I got in and uh, then went to, I think it was White Lodge for a couple of years. And then they disbanded the program because they, or maybe they didn't disband the program, but for the younger years, they decided that you know, it was too much. And, and very shortly after that, anyway, we immigrated out to Australia. That first teacher you had sounded quite brutal. Mm. Was that an approach by a lot of teachers oh, yeah. you can reference when you were a kid? Oh, yes. We were taught by um, insults. You were just insulted all the time. But what does that do to a child's confidence? You either take it on board, or like my sister, who mum decided to put her into ballet with me as well, until one day in the car, Laura said... Uh, Mum said, OK, out you go. And Laura went, I'm not going. Mum said, why? And she said, they shout at me, I don't like it. <laughs> that was it. So I think with dance you can either take it or you can't. But in those days, it's very different now, uh, but in those days a lot of, um, you know, a lot of not, you're never going to make it, you're not good enough, you're this, you're that, you're not, yes, yeah, so it's negative. There were some, some positive teachers is, is that uh, was that a choice of the teachers then as a, as a test to see the the stamina that you had and the, the, the desire to be a dancer maybe mm. <clears throat> yes I think I think in ballet it's a um, you know you can be doing something down the room and simple pirouette exercise and if you don't take off at the right time with the right foot then you can the teacher can mentally just wipe you and go oh, not not focusing not dedicated not listening to the music not doing this not doing that so then you've got to work hard to get back into their good books so because i think ballet is such a discipline that that's one of the methods that you know when i was growing up that that's how it was taught is it important for a dancer to start as young as possible I think it depends upon, I think it really depends upon the, the, each person individually. I mean, I know people who started when they were 15 and they still made it into major ballet companies or even, um, even later. If the, if the desire is there, then I don't think anything can stop anyone really from doing anything once your mind's set on it. So, I mean, it does help. It does help, but... Yeah. But also it's, it's that desire and that discipline, but I guess you have to have the body that is built for mm. a dancer's life. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you recall a, a, a teacher in your youth, you know, those, those as a child that really sort of spoke to you and encouraged you and gave you the confidence that, that you needed, a belief in yourself? I think... I do remember having, I do remember having a teacher who I knew really disliked me because I won a ballet, I won a ballet um, competition 
that was held within this school that I was going to that actually, funnily enough, was adjudicated by uh, Dame Margaret Scott, who then many years later took me into the Aussie Ballet School. But I won that over a girl who everybody thought was going to win it. And the classes, the private classes that I were given were being taken by the lady who ran its daughter. And I, I, she just did not like me. So it was like torture going and doing these private lessons with her every week. Um, but, you know, along the way, um, I, think, I think the most... Um, like first of all, I remember going to do a class with uh, Laurel Martin and uh, at the summer school. I was about 15 and she said to me, you're not using your turnout. And I thought, what's turnout? And I thought, why don't I know about this? So then I went to, then I, I just took myself out from where I had been and um, then I went to Cathy Gorham and I was there for a year and um, there was Miss Tasker and um, uh, Eileen Tasker and uh, Miss Leone and then Cathy herself, she was pretty amazing, she was a force and I learned in, so much from her in one year and also Martin Rubenstein, he was there as well. He was ex uh, Borovansky, yeah, and Kathy used to be the. She was uh, ex-principal of the. I think Borovansky as well as well as the Australian Ballet Company. I'm pretty sure she danced overseas as well. She was amazing. She, she, I don't know. She must have been in her forties. She seemed old to me, but then I look now from my when age. You're a child, yeah. Everyone you know, seems old. Yeah, but I remember her in huge clogs still doing six pirouettes in, in cork shoes and still and still saying to us, you think you're flexible and hitting and literally boom down into the splits. She was, yeah, she was scary, but, but good. So um, like any young ballerinas uh, studying, studying out, the red shoes, did that play a big part in your life? Was that a ballet film that... No, you worship? No? No, because in those days, it's not like today. You can't... There's no YouTube. There was nothing. I I remember getting almost no information. I would have loved to have been studying ballet with everything that's out there now that I could have... You know, all I had were tiny little... Um, I think I had a book about Margot Fontaine that somebody had given me, and then... Um, and then I remember, I don't know where I got it from, it was like different ballet pictures that concertinaed in that I could actually put behind my school diary. And I remember sitting in geography one day and I'd, I'd pulled the whole thing out and I was looking at all the, all the ballerinas and whatever poses they were and, and being slightly scandalised by one because um, it was taken of a back of a, of a dancer in class and to my horror I could see her bra strap it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but anyway, so I'm sitting there with, with it down on my lap, and I hear, um, you know, Jane, what are you doing? I was like, oh. So I fold it back in, and she said, give it to me. So I remember walking up to her with my diary and putting it on the desk, and she said, what were you looking at? So I opened it up, and, put, and this sort of wry smile came across her face, and she went, okay, well, don't do it again. <laughs> I don't know what she thought I was looking at, but I don't think that's what she expected. Right. Yeah. 
Who were you, uh, your dad's heroes at the time? Um, oh, gosh. Um, well, F- uh, Fontaine, just because she was Fontaine, and that was, uh, you know, I had a book of her. Um, I hadn't really seen, I hadn't really seen that much. I, actually, I think more Citrus. The Hollywood, uh, the Hollywood MGM musicals. Yes. Yep. Gene Kelly, um, Donald O'Connor, uh, Fred Astaire, Ginger Rogers, um, you know, uh, oh, now their names escape me, but all of those, because I used to watch them every holidays on Channel 7. They used to have musicals that went all day long in the holidays. So you'd watch three a day, five days a week. It was fantastic. But that was my education uh, as far as dance, you know. So growing up, I guess, you, you entered your fair share of competitions and no. the Steadfords? No, no? Nothing like that? Nothing. No? no, it was just a school, just... No. No, your ballet classes? All I did was ballet classes. Right. And, and we, we weren't allowed to do any other form. And in those days, there was, no, um, there was no contemporary, there was no jazz, there was no tap. If you did tap, you, you were practically kicked out of Goran's because she didn't really like it because she weakened the ankles, so you need strong ankles to be on point. So there was none of that. Steadfords was sort of like, for the low people, we were doing art. <laughs> so when did you realise, you know, your teachers, maybe your family, that, that you had potential to be a professional dancer? I don't, I don't know that I ever thought that I had potential. I just think that because I had done ballet f- since I was little, that's sort of what I went into. So was the Australian Ballet School always in your sights? Was that the only um, institution around at the time which would lead into a career? Uh, yes, at the mo- at that time, it wasn't anything that I. It wasn't anything that I spent a lot of time thinking. Gee, I hope I get into the Australian Ballet School. It never really. Yeah, I was just going to classes and just uh, trying to work hard, and then um, I did the audition when I was 15, just, I think, at that stage, just for experience, but I got in. And years later, um, my mum said that she was actually going to turn it down because that would have meant that I'd left in year 10 of schooling and then I wouldn't do my matric. Um, So she was going to turn it down, but then um, a very good friend of the family, Barbara, um, who's a lovely person, she... um, she said to my mum, no, she has to take it because you never know if the chance will be offered again. And actually a girl who auditioned with me at that time, whose parents did turn it down, she then went along the next year and they didn't take her at all. So you've described to me that this was a period also before Tarquette on the floor. Yes. And um, <laughs> you regularly were pulling splinters out of your feet. Oh, yeah. And yeah. well, not so much the, not the feet, just the legs. You'd sit on the floor, you'd have to do something where you'd, you know, you'd be stretching over and these things would come out and they'd go slicing into your back of your legs and your tights. And and we used to, uh, when I was at Gorham's, the, the big thing there was plastic pants, glad wrap. Um, so what you do is you'd wrap your entire body in glad wrap and then you'd put plastic pants on and then a leotard and obviously tights and then your ballet shoes and then a top because the, the thing was that if you sweated enough, you'd lose weight, 
which didn't really, but all it, all it did was, you know, we'd have an hour warm-up at Gorham's, which was pretty intense. And then you'd hear Gorham's clogs coming up the, up the, the stairs, yeah. up the stairs, yeah. and you'd see everyone's hands sort of white knuckles on the bar, and then you'd have nearly a two-and-a-half-hour class. So it's like three-and-a-half hours with no stop, and I just remember, I just remember having footprints with my shoes because I'd sweated so much. Look, uh, uh, tell me about a dancer's feet. They must undergo tremendous stress and wear and tear in in a career. Mm. How do you care for your feet? There wasn't. A, there's not as much knowledge as there is now. When back then, the only advice I was ever given was methylated spirits. Which would dry dry the skin. Yes, so surely. Well, it did. Yes, but also you had lots of blisters. You're saying yes. So to get the blisters to harden faster, you'd put your feet in raw methylated spirits, and it was. So you were developing calluses, I guess, to sort of strengthen the um, feet. Well, I I don't know. You know, looking back in hindsight, nothing really worked. It was still bloody painful. I still got blisters. There was none of this. There's no. Uh, they, they had lamb's wool in those days, so you'd take lamb's wool and wrap it around your toes, but it wouldn't really do anything because, of course, as soon as you go in, the lamb's wool would thread and you'd still get... And then it would be even worse because the lamb's wool would bunch up and you'd have a pressure point. Um, it was just painful. Um, you know, you're no longer dancing, but do your feet continue to wake? And uh, Yes, they do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've had... Um, <clears throat> some plantar fasciitis um, problems, which I've now got again, which is not not nice. What does that mean? Please? It means that the the muscle underneath that runs underneath the arch of your foot um, is is being is tight and being held, so that you as you're walking, it's not fluid. It's it's just this constant pain, like someone's banging your heel with a hammer. But I, re- I do remember going, um, and at the school, we, you know, you'd, they'd have sh- the, the girls' dressing rooms, and obviously they had showers in the girls' dressing room. And um, I remember, you know, after class going at the end of the day and having a shower if I needed to, and just the water falling on my feet would just feel like needles, um, just really painful. I do remember, though, once I was in the shower. And... Um, I heard the, the doors open and I heard Maggie Scott's voice going, and these are the girls' showers and that's Jane. <laughs> was she on a tour? Yes. Oh, no. No. Because there were no curtains, there was nothing. It was oh, just no, it was all open. Shower heads. Luckily I had my back to them. Right. It's like, are you kidding me? Keep up to date with the latest guests on Stages by following us on Instagram at Stages Podcast Pete or like our Facebook page, Stages. There you'll be able to see the faces of those I've chatted with and some further background information. Hear guests like Tony Lamont talk about the time that she was offered the chance to be the first female host of a Tonight Show in the world. So they decided to give me the Monday night and the new young guy that was working with Graham, Bert Newton, got the Thursday night. 
because I'd been successful on them. And we didn't realise until later that, because I didn't think about it, I mean, you, you don't think when you get those things about who else is doing the Tonight Show in the world? You don't think of those things. And guess who the next person was? My sister, Helen Reddy. Um, so what did you learn at the school that, that you didn't know before? Um, oh, well, they, gosh, um, oh, I had a great time at the school. I loved it uh, because you're dancing all day long. So we, we, did, um, we did character. Uh, we, had, we actually did have some jazz with Jack Manuel. Um, we had character with um, Madame Berezovska. We had pas de deux, um, and then we had, you know, obviously classical ballet classes. You had repertoire. We had music appreciation with a very famous actor, bald head. Um, still <laughs> There's quite a few actors, <laughs> yes, strangely. But I know George Ogilvie used to teach. Yeah, no, it wasn't him. No. No, this was. Um, I'll probably. I'll. I'll try and remember and tell you tomorrow. Frank Thring. No, he <laughs> would have been funny. No, it wasn't him. But he was. He was great. He. He used to sit us down and he played the whole of Jesus Christ Superstar for us and made us listen and listen to the lyrics. And he also did. Um, uh, he used to sort of dissect classical music as well. Um, he. He was fantastic. We used to have Barbara Nimmo for. Um, Laban notation, I think, and that I could never understand. That that's it's sort of like it's um, all those movement types. It's movement um, written down, gliding and punching and floating and oh no no no. Well, from an actor's perspective, oh, that's right. what it is. Yeah, but you're talking from a dancer. Um, no, no, that's why I'm, I'm a bit hesitant because I don't think that's the right term for it. It's 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 like when you write music, you write it on on the on the oh so this is choreographic notation yes choreographic yeah. notation but I was just I wasn't very good with the you know the top was the head and then something else and you had these little squiggle things for hands and but it, no it was great fun it was great fun so uh, that leads into the Australian Ballet Company uh, no no uh-huh. but, um, I remember um, going to when they had the premises at Flemington. Um, that uh, I remember standing in the room at the audition and I had a voice in my head that said, you will get into the school but you won't get into the company. So I actually had, it was like a, somebody talking right. in my head. <laughs> 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 so, but I chose to ignore. Good, good. I chose to ignore the wouldn't get into the company and what happened was at the very end, after two years, just before our final big uh, graduation I had done something to my ankle and uh, I I couldn't do everything that I needed to be to be able to do when I went in for the final meet with Maggie Scott and I think um, I think um, Peggy Van Praag was there as well uh, who was principal at the who was who artistic, was the director. artistic director of the Australian Australia, Ballet yeah. Yeah. Um, they basically talked to me about musical theatre oh they didn't see potential for you as a no, be- well, ballerina be- well they just said that they noticed that I had this comedic flair and um, and that because the Aussie Ballet was going straight I think into Sleeping Beauty and they needed all hands on deck because of my injury they couldn't take me mm-hmm. I think in their way they were trying to come up with ways of what else could you do but oh, I didn't see that at the time so 
Yeah, so after that... Was that disappointing? Oh, my you, God, yes. Were you devastated? Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because you've worked how many years? 17? Oh, well, since I was about five, so yeah, at least at least 12 years. With your eye on a particular prize and... Well, I think if you go into, if, think if you go into the Aussie Ballet School, you sort of hope you're going to get into the company. You expect that would be the outcome. But then you see, I hadn't listened to my, that voice that had told me that I would get in. <laughs> so I should have... Uh, but anyway, um, Garth Welsh at that time, he had taken over uh, with Laurel Martin at Ballet Victoria. And because Garth had been in the, I think, a lot of the um, end-of-year examinations that we had, because we had a, a massive panel. I remember Robert Helpman, Van Prague, Maggie Scott, uh, principals of the Aussie Ballet Company. Like, there was... It was an intimidating panel. That's extreme. Yeah. Yeah. So he had seen, uh, you know, he had seen quite a lot of us in there. And, and so when we, we were told about the audition, so when we went along, you know, I was lucky enough to, to get in. Um, that, that was an experience too because it was a regional touring company. So it's very small. But um, what they had managed to do, don't know how they did it, but they had, they had, I don't know whether or not they had contacted them by letter or they had phoned or whatever, but they managed to get McCarver, Natalia McCarver and Mikhail Baryshnikov out to dance with our company. In a regional company? Yeah. Oh, wow. So it was like, oh, you know, but at the time, you don't know. You don't appreciate who you're I, working with. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't know. So the first time first time I saw Baryshnikov, I walked into the Adelaide Festival Theatre and I walked uh, past the dance studio and I looked in and he was just doing turns in second. But he was going so fast that he was he, he was blurring. And I remember thinking, bloody hell, you know. Never seen anything like that. The two of them were just extraordinary. They did Giselle Act 2. They also did Don Q Pas de Deux. Uh, no, I think it was Giselle and then they did the Don Q. There, was other, there were other parts to the program. But um, uh, I remember going into class one day at Adelaide Festival... And I, I don't know, I was just tired. I think you're always tired as a dancer. I was on the floor, warming up in a split, sort of like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> lying on the floor. And, and I heard, you know, teacher come in. And so I sort of picked myself off and I grabbed my bag. And I just sort of, I thought, oh, there's an empty space. And I threw my bag down and I, I stood. And so you always start with your left hand on the bar. So I turn, put my left hand on the bar and I look ahead of me and Barishnikov is standing in front of me and I freaked out. And I, the only reason I freaked out was because when we turn around to do the other side, my left foot wasn't as good as my right foot. So he would be looking at my bad foot, <laughs> not my good foot. So I remember we're doing something and I'm in an attitude and I see the teachers on the other side of the room and I'm in a balance. And the next thing I felt this hand grab hold of my left foot and twist it into the right position. And I, my brain's going, my brain's going, who's there, who's there, going, and all of a sudden I went, oh, it's Barishnikov. Correcting <laughs> he just, you. He just touched my foot. <laughs> <laughs> now, so, so after the regional tour, um, did your classical career continue? or Because um, I know you moved into, do we call it contemporary dance or jazz dance? or uh, No, I... Um, I was with Ballet Vic for a couple of years and and I just I became very depressed during that time because I wasn't 
I wasn't in the Aussie Ballet Company, so I just got very... I wasn't a very nice person to be around with. We kept going out on tours and we were away for 11 weeks. and It was, it was fun, but it was also difficult at the same time. So I just stacked on masses of weight. Right. So basically they said, you're too big, get out. So, so why were you depressed? Because your, your soul wasn't being fed? You weren't doing what you really wanted to do? or? Yeah, but also, you know, I was 18, 19, and I think, you know, at that stage... All you seem to do when you're going through puberty is you just cry a lot and... Hormonal. Hormonal and uh, it was just, yeah, it wasn't a good time. But I ended up by writing at some point to a friend of mine who I'd been with at the Aussie Ballet School and she was working in a company in Germany and she wrote back to me and said, oh, there's a place coming vacant because in those days it was still the Cold War and one one of the girls in the company... Uh, her son was still back behind the in the communist country and the only way that she could be with her son because they wouldn't let him into West Germany right. was to move back to East move back. Right. yeah and so um, I went over with a one-way one-way air ticket uh, I worked for uh, quite a long time uh, at a nightclub in Melbourne to earn the money just to be able to get the flight and then I think I had $200 and no way back. So if I hadn't have gotten this, I don't know what I... I don't, I don't even know what my parents were thinking. Oh, so, so that's going through my head. What did your parents think? So you're 18, 19. So I was, yeah, I was about, I was about 19 by this time. And you're going off to Germany. I'm going off to Germany by myself. So I, I, I head off in November and... Um, I go there, and luckily I got the job in, in Ulm. Oh, so that wasn't even guaranteed? No. Oh, God, no. Oh, no. I had no idea. I had no idea if I was going to get in or not. I suppose this was a time also before technology where communication with the other side of the world wasn't necessarily immediate. Yes. Um, but also, too, I think I was a bit naive and stupid. But, <laughs> but I just... Off I went, and um, I did get in, but... I arrived in November, as I said, and uh, the contract didn't start till February. So what happened was this this um, uh, lovely lady called Pat, she... Uh, They're she, all called Pat, <laughs> lovely ladies. <laughs> no, she, the dancer, she was in the company, she very kindly put me up in her, where she lived, which was this tiny attic unit that actually there was no bathroom in there at all. And I don't remember there being a kitchen. So you had to walk up about seven flights of stairs just to get up to the top. And so I lived I lived there for until the, such time as I got into the company, started earning money, and then I could go and get my own place. So what sort of jobs did you do in Germany? Did um, you, you, so you joined the company, uh, this was a contemporary was a, dance company? No, 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 oh. it was a ballet company. So right. the Ulmer Ballet, so it, it, in the, in the theatre, um, it, it already had its own ballet, its own drama, um, acting, operetta, opera. Musicians, costumes, um, makeup, um, technicians, blah blah blah. So it'd be like the opera house, and then in the opera house lives like that's where everybody goes. The Australian Opera, the Australian Ballet Company, the you know the chamber or whatever, right. Philharmonic. They're all in one. That's it. There's no going outside to anything. Uh, Everyone's all in one place. And what city are we in? Ulm. Ulm. U-L-M. And what period is this? Uh, this is in, like, early 70s. Right. So what, you, you performed ballets? Yes, we did ballets, but we did many things. We had, uh, we were sort of used for musicals, 
um, operettas, operas, um, uh, the ballet evenings. Uh, I think that's where I did contemporary, really, for the first time with a, a gentleman called Bernd Shandosky, and he he was in the company, but he was also sort of the, con- the contemporary teacher. You're starting to learn new dance forms yeah. in Germany. Yeah. And I know that you also did probably your first musical? Yes, we did. Yes, that was fun. We did cabaret, which was very interesting. So they, you know, they had the whole... Uh, the stage is quite amazing because the middle of the stage could just go down about 10 metres and then they would wheel across the br- a breach from the wings that would go across. So we'd run from upstage to downstage across this bridge and then go off and then the Kit Kat Club would raise, rise up from the, you know... The lift? From the, yeah, just coming up and yeah. we'd be sitting already. So did you have to sing? Cause uh, yes, we, well, we sort of like half did, yes. But I did do Bila Didi Two Ladies. Oh, you're one of the ladies, were you? With Bernd. I'll bring in the photo tomorrow. Oh, great. If I go home and I'll find it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, with another uh, another dancer called Elizabeth. Um, so that was fun. So I And are, then are, we did My Fair Lady and... Yeah. Are, are you singing in English or German? German. So what was that like, having to learn a new language? Did, did you just learn it phonetically or phonetically. were you able to understand what you were...? Yeah, no, I didn't understand really, phonetically. Could you speak it eventually or...? Um, a little bit. I, I Not enough to have, uh, you know, I wouldn't have an intelligent conversation with someone, but I'd be able to understand, you know, if somebody said, oh, can you pick that up or...? But I bet you can probably remember um, a lyric. Uh, yes. Um, um, <coughs> my fair lady. <coughs> um, hi, heute Morgen mache ich Hochzeit. So that was Keep going. Um, oh, hang on. Uh, uh, they they had like they had different things. They used to have these three. They had these three drag queens in cabaret that were in the cabaret. They're, so it's slightly different to what I think what you see in the movies. But they had one person would come out and be Josephine Baker. Um, with the banana skirt and things like that. And in someone, Cabaret the Musical? Yes. All oh, right. And someone else would come out as something else and then, then they used to sing Ich hab den Frauen herlein baden sein, das war schön Da kann man baden sein, rund und schön in Wasser stehen Und wenn man knickt, das macht man nicht Ob wenn das Frauen herlein baden sein kann Something about seeing her calves in water. <laughs> it's really weird. But I remember standing and singing along to that, yes. But we did some fantastic things. We did. What was that gig that required you to be locked in a coffin? Yes, yes. Um, so that was um, Marriage of Figaro. So that was uh, Peter Musbach was a new director. He was very young. So he came to the theatre and the whole set was white. Um, the, the doors were something like 20 foot high and there were four of them placed around the stage and it had this massive balcony on the top and um, he had us dressed in um, sort of like Marie Antoinette type costumes with these massive wigs on with makeup that if you put your finger on your cheek you left a f- finger mark so it's really shiny and glossy and and so he then had these pine coffins made and we'd have to I didn't know how this and tried to get into it the first time going what the hell so we, we got in and I'm lying there thinking thinking oh they're not going to put the lid on bloody hell they are so along came the lid 
And so they, they pick us up and they put us into the truck. So for the first couple of times we did this, it was I, I thought, oh, okay, all right. You know, but until they actually stack someone's coffin on top of mine. Oh. They, I cannot even begin to tell you what that was like. I, I mean, even now, I, it took all my restraint. It took all, yeah, it took all my restraint because I, I knew that if I panicked and I started going mental, but they certainly heard about it when I... Emerged. When I emerged. So they used to carry then the coffins from the truck into the auditorium, <clears throat> set us up upright and keep the lids on. So people, all they saw were these pine wood coffins standing as they came in to get their tickets and get their, you know, glue vine or whatever. Uh, but the, obviously the coffins had like these little knots in them like air holes. Right. And I remember standing there once <laughs> thinking, oh, when are they going to open up the lid so they can go in? And all of a sudden I thought, I thought what the hell? Because this hand, these fingers came through the little knot hole with a mint. <laughs> <laughs> And this voice said, you know, would you like a mint? It's like, it sounded quite heldy veldy. Now I'm in Sweden. Um, so, yes, we used to get some weird things. So then when we got out of the coffins, we then had to walk like marionettes up the stairway into the um, audience. Uh, that, you know, we were put in the foyer and then we went into the auditorium and then we went up onto the stage and we had to just stand there for about half an hour, dead still while the audience filed in, and then, then it started. It was very full-on, but I loved it. How long were you in Germany? <clears throat> Nearly three years. What brought you back to Australia? Uh, I was worried. Um, I was getting sick a lot with bronchitis, but then I was smoking then. Right. Um, hardly ever any sun. Um, I was sort of over... I was over everything, but mainly I think I was more homesick, and I was worried about my parents because uh, I just thought, well, you know, I'm too far away if anything happens, so... But you obviously came back with a whole new skill set. Yes. Yeah. Did you... I guess there was no career guaranteed when you returned. You'd been absent for three years. No. So what what happened when you got back? Where did you find your work? I went back to the disco where I'd been working before. The underground? The underground. Right, in Melbourne. I went back. um, Brian Goldsmith was the owner. Totty Goldsmith's his... Daughter. daughter. Right. Um, so I ended up by going back to work there, and then I thought, um, well, I think I better go and um, I think I'd like to learn jazz. So I asked around, and I found a lady called Coral Deeg who was teaching at the National Ballet School, which is in St Kilda. So I went, um, I went to her, and um, she got to the part where she was doing a kickball change, and I couldn't do a kickball change. I couldn't figure it out. Really? I couldn't. God, even I can do a kickball change. I know, no, I couldn't. I got so... <laughs> there was a mental block somehow. Oh, yeah, yeah. so I got so upset, I, I gave up for six months. Right. I stopped dancing until one day I thought, still working at the underground, thinking I'm really unhappy, what's wrong? And then I thought, I have to go back, I have to go back and try, try and do jazz. And so I, I went back into her class, but then I also, that's when I found Ronnie Arnold. I'm Peter Ayers, and you're listening to Stages, a podcast that interviews creatives and artists about their careers, their processes, and what matters to them. Artists like dancer Paul Saliba, who fondly recalls one of his heroes, the legendary Sir Robert Helpman. Totally and utterly individual, 
bigger than life. Uh, every, even a taxi driver knew who Sir Robert Hilton was. Right, yes. Was I mean, he was fame. so incredibly famous. You know, like, well, he was responsible for bringing Uraeth to Australia to, and for us to get that production of Don Q and make that movie in the in the hangar at, in Melbourne at the airport, you know, to do that. Uh, he, was, he was really the one, probably one of the most fabulously individual person I'd ever met. Tell me about the great Ronnie Arnold. Oh, you know, he, he was a performer that came out here in uh, the, for the original production of West Side Story, I believe, and yeah. stayed. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he was... Um, I had never done anything like his classes before. I'd never done the style that he was doing. Um, I'd never seen it. And also to him... Um, his amazing such a contagious personality oh my yeah. god it's amazing so I remember walking in and doing his class for the first time and we got up to a certain point and I, I just couldn't go anymore and I sat down on the floor I remember and he walked up to me and went what's wrong and I just remember I had my head down in my legs and I looked up and I just went no stamina put my head down but I got so strong by doing his classes I used to do as many as I could get to, I would do them. And in those days, he was he was more expensive than everybody else because everybody else around town was charging two or three dollars <laughs> a class. A class, but Ronnie's was about five, I think. But I used to forego. I used to the think, smokes. Were you still uh, smoking? Yes, unfortunately. Yeah, I only gave that up when I got pregnant. Right. Yeah. So Ronnie was, so of course he's a performer that's had much experience in musical theatre. I know that you had a period doing musical theatre as well. Yes. How did that come about? Just auditioning, I think, um, uh, anything that came up because there was hardly any work around. Um, I did start to do some work uh, with Tony Bartuccio for the Don Lane show and then I did I did audition for Jeff Richer for uh, Ronnie Corbett um, and then, uh, you know, you hear of, oh, there's an audition for this or that. And I, I just thought, oh, I'll just go along for it. I wasn't expecting to last very long. I didn't even walk in. I know this will horrify a lot of people out there, but I actually went in for my first audition with no sheet music. I didn't even, I didn't even bring... I remember I had on, like, a, a, a multicoloured pastel dress that was striped. So it was pinks and yellows and blues and greens and whatever and I had these really high shoes on and I remember going out for Best Little Whorehouse in Texas just sort of walking out on stage and then just saying um, you know oh give you a gaily oh I don't have sheet music can I just sing a cappella <laughs> started singing then I remember Ross uh, taking us for obviously the dance part and is Ross Coleman yeah, yes mm. yes and um, and then uh, you know I ended up by uh, being part of that musical and then that led into Evita and then West Side, Side Story, Story. Yeah. yeah I know that you're, you're a great lover of musicals but um you must have had a great time doing those shows oh yeah no it was it was it was fantastic it was really it was an eye-opener I think because I think dancers you're always terrified of opening your mouth and so to to be put into a situation where you have to uh you know you have to get up there and and sing, and you know you can do everything. But it, yeah, it was very, it was very enjoyable. 
and I always used to really admire the people who who played the leads because there's a huge amount of responsibility. Responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. In carrying a show. Yeah. 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 So. What was it like dancing on television? How does that limit the um, the expression that you can give? I mean, it's a terrible thing to say. Are you more or less props for the performer that's appearing in front of the camera? Um, yes, unless you're actually, unless, like when I did the Ronnie Corbett specials, that was just all about the dancers. So that was the best time I think I ever had uh, as far as, you know, being a professional dancer because it was all just about us. So we, we had to learn, We, you know, we had to learn the song, but we... We basically mined to it, but Jeff worked in Bars of Eight. Jeff Harvey? No, Jeff Richer, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm just thinking of the listener. He's yes, trying to catch yes. up with these people. Sorry. We know, but uh, there yes. you go. So he was the MD or the choreographer? He was a choreographer, right. an English choreographer. Right. Yes. So he, um, he would choreograph in sections, so like four Bars of Eight. And so that would all be done to a certain camera angle. And then, so we'd film it, and then we'd stop, and then you could actually go and watch yourself. So, you know, you'd stand there and you'd look at yourself in the monitor going, I don't look like I'm even moving. I need to put more energy in. So it really taught me a, a, a really big lesson about how much you need to, especially in television, to, you know, push out as a dancer, because otherwise you just, do you look like you're marking it? Yeah. But he was... Um, you know, I remember the first week he, the, where we were rehearsing was literally about... It was literally out of my flat, walk up to the lights, cross the lights, cross to another pair of lights, and that church hall was there. So it was like five minutes away. And at lunchtime... That's where you were rehearsing. This is where I was rehearsing yeah. for the Corbett special. So at lunchtime, I would come home because we had an hour. Uh, and I never ate because I was so exhausted. I used to sit in a chair like blankly looking at the wall and then I'd have to get myself up and go and I, I lost I would have lost about 7 kilos in the first week I like went <laughs> fond memories fond memories <laughs> um, what makes a good dancer oh gosh well you've got to have you've got to have you've got to have the love for it for a start you, you have to have do you need to put it before everything else does it have to be you know relationships and is it the great love of your life? Those people with that hunger and that drive and uh, yes. Well, I think I think if you I think if anyone's ambitious, then you know no matter who you're with at the time, if that that job's going to take you overseas, you're not going to go. Oh no, I'm not going to go there because you know so and so wants me to stay. So no. Yeah. Uh, I, I think you need to be. You need to have. Uh, you need to have a strong sense of of your own. Ability. You need to. Uh, you need to be dedicated. You need to have some amazing amount of discipline. You need to have a certain amount of luck in where you are, right place, right time. Uh, obviously, you need to have the talent. You need to musicality. You know, just it does take a lot. You need to be. I think you know. You need to have a good sense of humour. Do you remember the last time you danced professionally? Uh, the last time was at. There was a restaurant behind where Sydney, uh, where Sydney Dance Company is now. So I think in the middle is um, Bangara, and then right at the end of the wharf there used to be a restaurant. And I did uh, two pieces 
I danced two pieces solo uh, on this tiny, tiny, tiny stage, like just a tiny bit bigger than this table. So it was I actually marked out the area in the studio so that I could choreograph within that space. So that was the last time. Why did you stop dancing? You know, I was a sole parent, so it was very... I had to look after... I could only really go and work during the day so that I would be home. Because imagine for all dancers there's, there comes a time where there is the necessity to stop because of the body just wears out or you have other responsibilities, mm. um, time has come. Mm-hmm. That must be a, an awful period of adjustment when you can no longer express yourself physically, something you've done since you were possibly four years old. Which is why I think I channeled it into uh, choreographing. Is that a natural progression for dancers, become a choreographer or a teacher? Not necessarily, no. I think, I think you, you either want to do that um, or you have a desire... You have a desire to choreograph or you have a desire to teach. Um, I think, you know, there are many different things you can do other than this is the only direction that you can go into. But I just, again, it was something that somebody said, oh, do you want to take a class? And I went, oh, okay. So that the first class is very hard because I, I stood there and I thought, bloody hell, I'm here for an hour and a half. Uh, what do I do? What am I going to do? So over the years... Um, you know, it's been many years now. Yeah, you just sort of, you, all the exercises and all the technique and all everything, you just sort of meld it into one. Uh, I mean, every every style you take obviously has a different technique. So it's challenging, but, you know, it's, it's great. When did you start choreographing? Around about the time, uh, I think my first go uh, was in Melbourne when I was working, uh, when I was studying with Ronnie. But it was very, it wasn't anything. I think, I think I really started, that's a really good question. I think when I started choreographing, I, I, that's when I had started to put, um, learn rap. So I, when I was teaching, I would I have to come up with routines at the end of each class. So I'd spend, I'd spend a good f- four hours at a record store sitting and listening to music and I'd find the music then I'd go home and I would just work at night and I'd just keep working on in front of the mirror and I'd come up with a routine and then give it in class and it sort of snowballed from there it's uh, observing you over these many years too I think that's where your choreographic process starts finding the music you're always searching for music which is going to ignite you oh yeah yeah. It's like getting a Christmas present when you find the right music. Yeah. So what is your process as a choreographer? You found the music. What do you do then? Um, I mean, I know you talk about shapes on stage and energy, moving energy all around. That sort of yeah. Thing. yeah. I think, I think, I think now, um, you know, before I used to work everything out. I used to plan it before I had um, Gemma, my daughter, um, and I, I was meticulous and I would, you know, work out. Um, everything and then I'd go in and teach it and then once I had her I was so exhausted and so tired um, I remember walking into Bowdoin Visa once um, and going into class to teach and knowing I had no routine I had nothing I didn't even have music I had a lot of records that I carried around with me but I had to trust that I had to get over that that blind panic of I'm going to stand there and just look blankly at them and they're going to look blankly back at me and then I just had to, and then from there on in, um, basically when I go in 
and choreograph, I, I started on the spot. It's got to be um, an organic process, I yeah. guess. It's something that you build with the dancers yes. rather than going in and, and layering something upon them. Yeah. 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 Well, they, you know, they, um, I think whoever you've got in front of you, um, if you've worked with them for a bit, you know what their strengths are. So you try and bring out all their strengths. What's, what's, what can they do that's going to make them look fabulous? You know what I mean? It's pointless giving someone fuetes to do if they can't do fuetes. You know, it's just crazy. Yeah. So, um, not that I do that, but yeah, I think it's it's a very um, it, it's a very enjoyable process, especially when you start working uh, with people who they sort of get what you you're, where you're going or they know your style, and then it's it, it goes really quickly. Like the process is very fast, and you turn around, and you think, "Gosh, where's four hours gone?" Or sometimes it can be the other way, <laughs> and you go, "Oh my God, my brain's not working today." Yeah. So, um, you've spoken about your lovely daughter Gemma a couple of times. Yes. So, how did motherhood um, change the creative process for you? Did it alter the way that you you choreographed or taught? Yeah, I do think so. I think um, I think children crack your heart open. So you become a lot more vulnerable. You become a lot more, yeah. I, th- I feel like it, everything you you just feel more, and you can you can see the humanity in the people who are in front of you. I think, you know, when I was a professional dancer, uh, you know, I was all sort of piss and vinegar, yep. and uh, very very different to how I am now. And I think the, yeah, I think I think as I've as I've grown older, as I the more, more things I choreograph, what I really sort of gravitate towards more is trying, trying to choreograph beauty. Um, Gem's followed your her mum's footsteps and become a professional dancer. Mm. Um, how did you respond to that? Was that something that you looked on with pride or trepidation? Oh no, I was you know hundred percent behind whatever she wanted to do. It didn't matter. Yeah. Um, she, um, you know, she was. Uh, She's been now at the Moulin in Paris for nearly four years now. So, and that's been a great, you know, it's been the making too because... And similarly to you, sort of going to Europe at age 19, she yes. went at a young age as well. She, yeah, uh, no, she was actually about, um, she was about 28, 27 when she left. Good. So she was a lot, much older than I was. Yeah. Yeah. Which, but because I had been there and because I had done that and I knew how important it was for her development as a human being, you, you need to get away from the family sometimes and you need to strike out on your own because then that... That feeds into your art, doesn't it? Yes. Yeah. So she, it was, it's really necessary and I was really happy for her that she had been given a chance to do something that she could call her own and be, uh, you know, this is what I've done. Yeah. What, um, what role has satisfied you more, uh, your, your career as a, a dancer or as a choreographer teacher? I realise that might be a silly question because they're probably both satisfied in different ways. Yeah. I'm, I miss, I do miss the, I mean, I could always go back and, and take classes, but I, uh, you know, I do miss the sort of the the rehearsal time and the all of that, but I still get that really as a teacher choreographer because I'm still in class. I'm still 
working. I'm just now helping helping kids and, and students find the right key to the right to you know to how to properly do a step. And then it's fantastic when you see them the penny drop or something they haven't been able to do for a, a year. All of a sudden they can do it. You see it straight away. And also to see you can see the growth. That's that's really amazing. And, and also if you choreograph something. Because every piece of choreography is like a baby. It's like, you, you know, you give birth against your creativity. So when it works and I'm quietly happy with what I've done, then that's, you know, you, you sort of go... I, I don't sort of like blow my own horn or anything, but I just think, OK, well, I did a good enough job there. I'm, I, I can hold my head up. <laughs> there have been some times when I've gone, oh, my God, like, I'll never do that again. <laughs> but you live and learn. There you go. How was that? Oh, gosh, that wasn't too bad. Wasn't too bad. (laughs) It was was fantastic. Thank you, Peter. God bless. (laughs) This is Peter Ayers, and you've been listening to The Stages Podcast. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Stages Podcast Pete or like us on our Facebook page.